I'm going to begin today by just reading the Word, and we'll kind of go from there. Usually there's kind of introduction, but we'll just start with reading the Word. Um, we're coming from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Uh, it should be on the screen here for us. At, the at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just had to read those words to you. Aren't they good? If you've been with us, we have, uh, we, we have, we have been through it. We have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, beginning with the Beatitudes, and last week we, uh, the encouragement was to continue to read through the Beatitudes on a daily basis, reflecting on those. Let that be a regular kind of commentary on your life and speak into you. And so as we've gone through the Beatitudes, the whole Sermon on the Mount, it has been heavy stuff because what Jesus is saying in those, in those moments is that what you know to be the most religious of people, these Pharisees, and what they're teaching you is all wrong. <laughs> they have such stringent rules, and they have, in many ways, built kind of a fence around the Torah, around the law, so that you won't, you won't break it. In fact, you'll stand outside of even getting a chance to break them. And Jesus says, you have to be more righteous than them. Whoa! Whoa. Like, I, I, I'm just having a hard time staying under the speed limit. You know what I mean? And so you, you have Jesus sharing with us that in order to be accepted by God, this blessedness, this, what God approves, it is a kind of character that is meek and humble, it is a kind of character that will allow, that has our enemies, uh, us showing blessing to our enemies and caring for them. And so Jesus calls us to an even higher standard. And as we go through it, it is overwhelming to think of all that Jesus is asking us to do. And as we, if you and I have tried to put this into our lives, we're kind of like, this is, this is a lot. I don't know that I have it within me to do this, to, to have this kind of character, to be like Jesus wants me to be. And in fact, at the end, when Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, he gives several different, uh, he gives several different kind of ultimatums. He's saying there, there's a, a wide road and a narrow road, and you have to choose between the two of them. One of them is, is it only comes through Jesus, and it, it is the one that leads to life, but it is a narrow road, and few find it. Am I on it? Then, then last week we, we talked about a man who, write, who builds his house on a foundation that's sandy and a foundation that is rocky and solid. And although those are... Uh, 
are, are beautiful pictures and help us understand the way of God, it can also be overwhelming. Amen? Amen. Can, can, I, can I fulfill this thing that Jesus has called me to? And so, as beautiful and as helpful it is, it also can be heavy on us. And Jesus allows it to weigh heavily on us. He tells us there are two ways, and you must choose which one you're going to take. So with that uh, on our shoulders, Jesus, we're in the 11th chapter, so Sermon on the Mount finishes in the 7th chapter. So there's just a few couple, a few chapters in between where we end the Sermon on the Mount and we pick up this story. But what's, right, what's happening right before Jesus says these things? Jesus is going from city to city, and he's preaching the same kind of message. And he's calling the, the inhabitants of those little towns to come and follow him. He's, he's saying these very same things. And as he's going through these next few cities... They come to this point and they look back at the cities that they have been that Jesus has been preaching to and doing miracles in their presence, and they are all categorically rejecting him. They are choosing the broad road. They are saying, I don't believe. I'm not going to follow after him. Although Jesus is doing miracles and is doing this same teaching, their response is to say, I don't want to be a part of it. And Jesus says to them, Because of what I've done for you. But because I've been there with you, it'll be better in the end for Sodom and Gomorrah than it's going to be for you. Well, right? Jesus is laying down the boom, right? This is heavy stuff. Jesus is saying, because you're rejecting what I'm teaching you, you will face judgment, just as he preached at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So with all of this heaviness that Jesus is preaching, if you were to go all the way through chapter 11, at this point you kind of go, it's a lot, right? It's too much. Then Jesus says these words, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and I will find rest for your and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light today I want to look at, at three things we're going to first look that Jesus calls us he calls to us that Jesus is gentle and lowly and finally he gives us rest for our souls you see going up on the screen there. Okay. Uh, Jesus calls us to himself. I want you to see the posture that Jesus is taking towards his people. First of all, he identifies his people, not as proud people, but as children. This is the message for children. This, this is humble folk who are looking and saying, I need your assistance. I am desperate for your assistance. I can't do it without you. You are the, the loving father, the loving mother who is attentive to me as a child. And Jesus now is saying to them, come to me. You see the posture Jesus has? It's as if fire is burning up in these cities, and Jesus is saying to those in front of him, but you, you, come to me, come to me. 
In many ways, when we think about Jesus saying these words, we're reminded of Jesus saying, come to me at another time, when Jesus calls out his disciples, and he calls them into discipleship. And what, really what he's calling to them in that moment is for you to come after me, come and follow me. But that's not exactly the posture Jesus has right now. He's not coming, come and follow after me. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. That's a little bit different. He, he's not just saying, follow me along the path, walk in my footsteps, this is the way. He is saying, I am the way. Come to me. Last week, uh, I got to uh, hang out a little bit with Corey. Corey, you back there someplace? All right. And so, uh, as we were driving back, uh, he said, uh, driving back from basketball, he said, uh, that's a good ser- that was a good sermon last week, which is always good to say to your pastor, by the way. Amen. And just, yeah, and, and, and just to make sure, like, he wasn't, you know, just stroking my back, I said, so what did you, what was good? Because I'm concerned, you know, like, it's a pretty heavy sermon. Once again, Jesus is saying, build your house on the rock or build it on the sand. And so he, he mentioned a couple things, and he said something that I thought was was really good. So, you know, Pastor, it's, it's about relationship. It's about relationship. That's pretty good, right? I don't know if that was in there, but that's what he got, so we'll go with it for sure. Is that that's really the beauty of what Jesus is calling us to. It's not a set, it's not a standard that he's calling us to. He's calling him to himself, to be in a relationship with him. That's so good. And who is Jesus speaking to in this, in, in this moment? He's speaking to his children. He, he has hidden things from the wise, he says in this passage. He's hidden things from the wise and those who think they have understanding, and he's revealed them to children who are willing to think simply about what Jesus is saying. Those who are humble. But it's not just those who are humble, but those who have been humbled. Who, who have learned and are learning what it means to be trusting in Jesus. You know, uh, these words that Jesus are using here sound very familiar to uh, an ancient text. There's a couple of uh, centuries before Jesus. Uh, and uh, it's called this, uh, the Wisdom of Sirach. This is a, a, a rabbi, and he said some of the same things. And, and in fact, he's oftentimes called uh, after Ecclesiastes, but he's not the actual writer of Ecclesiastes. But he said these same things, and the picture he drew was sitting at the feet of wisdom, that Jesus is calling us to do the same thing, to sit at the feet of wisdom, and in doing so, the heaviness of life, the weight of life, is then lightened. And so I say that not to give you like Jesus is copying, but so that those who are listening in that moment go, "Uh uh-huh, I know what he's talking about. Like there's a little more depth there. What he's talking about is coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says, and at the feet of wisdom, the, the heaviness of life will be lifted. The weight that you are carrying is lifted. 
You see the posture of Jesus. He's saying, come. Come to me. Jesus is gentle. He calls himself gentle and lowly. A.W. Tozer, um, great theologian, says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Did you, see, did you hear that? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Spend time. You can meditate on that this week. So who is Jesus? Jesus, when he identifies himself in this passage, although he's calling down uh, brimstone on these cities, he says, I am gentle and lowly. And sometimes we have the picture of God the Father raining down brimstone, right? And that is a true thing. Jesus is going to judge. God is going to judge. The Father is going to judge. But when Jesus says, when you come to me as children, you'll know me as gentle and lowly. This word gentle, in other places in Scripture, when you see that same Greek word, when we have it, the English equivalent is oftentimes a humble. It is a kind of meekness, a power under control. Another place this is used is when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And he is on a donkey, right? Not on a horse, but he's on a donkey and he's enter, entering into Jerusalem. This is during the Passion Week before he's, uh, before he's going to, uh, to, be, to be crucified and resurrected on his way into the holy city in this kind of processional of the king coming into the city. As he comes, he comes seated on a donkey. And he, it says that he is humble. It is that same word, that Jesus is coming in as king, but he's not coming in on a horse in a kind of victory stallion, but he's coming in on a donkey. Now, who is afraid to, to approach a man on a donkey? Have you thought about that? Picture it for just a moment. If we walk outside here and John Michelson is walking, is sitting on a donkey, is anyone afraid of John Michelson on a donkey? No. Right? But, but put Brad Beavers on a, on a stallion. You're like, all right, that's a little too much, right? But Jesus comes in on a donkey, humble. Not powerless. <laughs> He's coming as king. But the riding of a donkey is not a sign of war, but it's a sign of peace. He's bringing peace to the people of God. Jesus is gentle. He's meek. And he is lowly. Once again, this word lowly is used other places, and it too comes up as humble. We translate it in other places as humble. But it is not the virtue of humility. It is actually being humiliated. It is being humbled. So you could say, in many ways, Jesus is humble and humbled. How, how in the world 
was Jesus humble. The, the Greek word is, it, it's not a virtue, it's, it is a, the, uh, the sense of destitution or being thrust downward by life circumstances. Was Jesus lowly like that? Yeah. Have you known anyone to be lower? In, in, in Philippians chapter 2, it says that and Jesus was humble. He, he became a man. He gave up uh, this. He, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He became a man. He became a servant. He became a servant. You can, you can picture this posture of him kneeling before the disciples and washing their feet, even to the point of death, Philippians 2 says. Even death, like, can you get worse than death? Even death on a cross, Philippians 2 says. You can't get any more humiliated. What was, what was the walk up to Jesus being crucified? He was stripped. He was beaten. He was mocked. His closest guys turned on him. Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus is humble and humiliated. He is this one who has experienced all of those things. And he says to you and me, in our humiliation, and in our humility, he says, you come to me. Tozer says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If you now see Jesus in that kind of light, do you think you could approach Jesus with your sin? Do you think you could approach Jesus with your brokenness? Can you, can you approach Jesus in your shame and your humility? Oh, you know, when we have shame, we're, we want to run away from Jesus, don't we? Right? I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be with people. I definitely don't want to spend time with Jesus because I know I've messed up. And in that moment, Jesus says, come to me. This is the time. You won't understand me. You won't understand how, how, how I, I, I failed. Uh, yeah. But Jesus, I am so undone. Everything is falling apart. I can't come to you. You know, I, I, I only come to you when I have problems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Child, come to me. And so for us, Jesus can then say, his yoke is easy. The, the, yoke, is, uh, the, the yoke is submission to the work, right? Or at least the, the person who is holding the other end of the line. And so when you think about the Sermon on the Mount, that yoke seems so heavy on us. I mean, the Pharisees couldn't get it right. How am I going to get it right? But Jesus says, actually, the yoke I put on you of lordship is light. It, it is your sign of submission and, and domestication of following under him. But the good news is that the one who is guiding us has a hold of the reins. And he is giving us direction. He is causing us to go along the right paths. Jesus says that he will make our paths straight. He holds the reins. The yoke is easy. 
Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, says this. It's said of Jesus in chapter 4, 14 through 16. Listen, and he says, Since then we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's good news. You see, Jesus understands our temptation, our struggles. The only thing is he didn't give in to them. So in some ways we say, well, you, you can't understand my troubles, and Jesus is saying, oh, I understand your troubles. And I also know how to get out of them. And I had the power to get you out of them. So why don't you come to me? He's good for it. He knows uh, our struggles. That high priest is the one who is the intermediary, the intercessor between God and his people. And Jesus is the one. He is the high priest. And so now he goes before the Father and intercedes on our behalf. He is our advocate. You know, uh, you and I, we have advocates all the time. We advocate for ourselves. You know what I mean? We tell people why we did certain things and why it should not be, we should not be held accountable. You know what I mean? We do not understand why people should be so harsh. We advocate for ourselves all the time. But we aren't very good advocates because of our sin nature, right? We're always advocating in the wrong direction. But Jesus is our advocate before the Father. And he properly assesses the situation. And even in the, the sadness of our lives, our failures, he advocates with the Father and he points to himself. And we take on the righteousness of Christ. So as we stand before our Lord, before our Heavenly Father, He sees the righteousness of His Son because He is advocating for us. That's the kind of advocate you need. Jesus says, sit with me, learn from me. And in learning, learning from Him, it shapes who we are. Next, I want you to see that Jesus... Uh, this is Jesus' Jesus's desire. Look at, at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did you catch what that what just happened there? For who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went joyfully to the cross for the joy set before him. It is Jesus' desire to save you and me. It is Jesus' desire to save you and me. It is Jesus' desire for that we might be holy and presented before our Lord. That is Jesus' desire. How often do you go to Jesus and you think he's just going to be reluctant with his grace? Well, you're going to suffer a little bit, right? I'm going to give it to you a little bit, and then, no, no. 
Jesus is saying, come to me. This is what I do. Jesus wishes, it's his desire that we come to him and receive love and mercy. Uh, next week, um, oh, but let, me, let me get with this. So if we look at the rest of Jesus' ministry, we think about as Jesus is walking, there are all kinds of laws in the Old Testament for cleanness and uncleanness. And so that becomes an important part of your daily, is what is, are you clean today or do you need to be cleansed? And so as Jesus is walking through, uh, through on this earth and he's coming into contact with uncleanness, the previous situation was, if you touched something that was unclean, then what? You became unclean. And so you had to be careful where you went, who you touched, where you, uh, what you did, because if you became unclean, you had to go through a, a cleansing process to get back where you were clean again, so that you could be in right standing and be able to worship again, so you could go to temple again, that you could, you could be with other people. And if it got so bad that you were so unclean, you had to be separated so you wouldn't come into contact with people. We'll put you on outside the city. But what does Jesus do? When Jesus comes into the scene, he is the purifier. He is the holiness. He is the cleanness. And so when he comes and he sees things that are unclean, when he touches them, he doesn't transfer the uncleanness, but he gives cleanness. When things are broken, he fixes them. When things are, are, are people are sick, he heals them. When people are dead, he brings them back to life. Some of our great theologians say, really, what we see now is an aberration of what things are. Because, you see, in the beginning, there was no sickness. There was no death. But because of sin, we have it now. And there will be a one day in which we are in, the, in heaven with our Lord, and none of this will be here. There will be no heaviness. There, there will be no sadness. There will be no tears. And so Jesus is going and he's giving a sampling of what the kingdom should be. And what we're living right now is the anomaly. And so Jesus goes and he touches and he makes things whole as they are. We are the, the thing that is out of order. But Jesus comes to put things right. If that's Jesus and you and I come to him as little children, how, how happy do you think he is to see us? How happy is he to see you and me? Can't you see the smile right now? It's like, oh, good. I'm glad you came. He offers us this peace. Finally, he says, he gives us rest to our souls. He advocates before the Father. Now, before, before we think even of the Father as one who is in some ways holding on to wrath and shooting lightning bolts here and there, as we come and read Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we start a series in Ephesians in a few weeks, we'll see that the Father and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit have prepared beforehand, put, written your names in the book of life, that, they, that He that the Father and the Son had prepared before the foundations of the world this, this plan of bringing about this kind of grace. You know, sometimes we ask, here's a philosophical question that we often ask, why, why did God do it this way? You know, we have so much 
struggle. We, we suffer so much. We, we see suffering in others. Our sin just breaks our hearts and ruins people. Could, could God have done it a different way? And I think, I think he could have. I, I think God could do whatever he wants to do, right? But he chose to do it this way. And you have to wonder why. And I don't know. I mean, when I get to heaven, God may say, no, you didn't get it right at all. But I can see this. If, if God had chose never to allow sin to enter into the world, there had never been a Satan. We just kind of, maybe he doesn't choose to create us at all, but if he creates us and we just kind of zoom along in perfection, we would get there would be only be a part of who God is expressed in that kind of creation. Amen. But to have a God who loves his creation so much that he would send his son to die on a cross, well, you can't get that without sin. You can't understand the depth of his love for you and me. Still being holy, still being just, still being merciful, still being gracious, all at the same time. And so, if you can understand God's wrath, and I think, you know, we're probably half and half in this group. There, there are probably half of us who are so aware of God's wrath. We, we, are, we are humbled by that, and we're always looking for a lightning bolt. There's probably the other half that are always like so free on grace that we don't think we have to do anything to be right. You know, we don't do anything at all. And, and really, both of those things are happening at the same time. God is just, and, and God is holy, and He is also mercy, merciful and gracious. He is a good Father who hears the requests of His children, and He gives good gifts. So Jesus says to you and me, Come to Jesus. His burden is light. Our, our burden of sin, burden the work of the kingdom, the work of holiness, we leave there with Jesus, and he lightens the load. We have an advocate. We have a counselor. We can learn from his ways. He wants you and me to come to him. He wants that. He's not begrudging his grace. He is full of grace. And he wants to forgive you and give you peace that you might rest in him. So people of God, learn to come to the feet of Jesus regularly. Unburden yourselves before him. Trust in him. Remember who he is and that he loves you and offers you grace.